This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Deacon Matt Woodley. So on a cold night in 2013, a January, on a Washington street in South Minneapolis at Maxwell's American Pub, something very unusual happened. It's actually five minutes from where I used to live, and I've eaten at this pub. I had a very fine burger there, so the story caught my attention. A guy wandered into the pub, he stumbled in actually, and he was saying something, and the bartender at first thought he was saying, I need a shot of something. Actually, he was saying, I've been shot. The guy had been shot six times, twice in the abdomen region, twice in each leg. Well, he just happened to come to the right place that day because at Maxwell's American Pub, six off-duty nurses had just got off work. They were sharing a meal together, doing life together, and they sprang into action. A couple of the nurses grabbed towels and they started pressing against, trying to stop the bleeding. Another nurse grabbed the guy's belt off and made a tourniquet out of it. Some of the guys, some of the nurses kept talking to the man just to keep him conscious. They kept him alive until the paramedics came and could take care of him. And the guy actually survived. One of the nurses, a 40-year-old nurse named Tim Carew said, he would have bled out and died if we didn't help. He said, we were coated in blood. But he said it was worth it all because throughout the ordeal, the victim kept looking up at the nurses going, I love you guys, I love you guys. Now for two weeks, in Minneapolis at least, those nurses became famous for saving a life. Now I love that story because I connected that story for two reasons. One is just like I said, it was right by my, the place where I lived for a while in South Minneapolis. The second reason is, as soon as I read that story, I thought, that is a picture, a beautiful picture of the church at her best, springing into action in a world in need, and Christians at their best, moving into the world where it's hurting and where it's wounded. The first reading that you heard from the New Testament book of Acts, which was written by a physician and a historian named Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, so it's kind of a two-volume set, as we're going to see. In this first reading, we see that the early church became famous for something very special. They became famous for being the place, the go-to place where broken people could find healing. We see that in two tiny little stories, almost kind of like throwaway stories. These, are, these little stories are really obscure. Nobody really knows that much about Aeneas or Tabitha. Nobody dresses up at Halloween in your favorite Bible character as Aeneas or Tabitha. These are little people in the story of the Bible. And yet there's a pattern with both of these stories. Each of these stories is almost like a template that goes like this. A sick person, or in one case a dead person, meet Jesus. They meet and encounter the, the, the power of the resurrection of Jesus. They find healing in Jesus. People talk about it. People gossip about it in a good way. People invite their friends to come and see this and the church grows. 
Let's look at these two stories, and if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 32, because that's the first story of the man named Aeneas, and then the second story is the story of Tabitha. And both of these stories, remember I said that Luke, is, Luke and Acts are a two-volume set? Both of these stories in the, in, the, in the book of Acts hearken back to stories in the Gospel of Luke. So the first story about Aeneas harkens back to a story of Jesus' encounter in Luke chapter 5. And the story of Tabitha harkens back with almost some of the same language to a story in Luke chapter 7. So as we're reading this, Luke wants us to think or be thinking. Remember that stuff that Jesus did? Remember all that great stuff that Jesus did? It's not done yet. It's still happening in and through the church. People are still getting saved. People are still getting healed. People are still meeting the Lord. People's lives are still changed through the power of Jesus working through the church. So let's look at the first story. Aeneas. He is an, an ordinary Christian. He's not a superstar. He's not a celebrity. He's not an ordained person as far as we know. And again, I, want, I think Luke wants us to think, God works in the lives of ordinary people. God works in imperfect people. God works in people who are not finished yet in the Christian life. The Holy Spirit can fill us right where we are, in the places that, where we live. As, as somebody, a famous Christian from the 70s and 80s used to say, a man named Francis Schaeffer used to say, in the terms of the kingdom of God, there are no little people. There are no little places. Every person matters. Every place matters. I find that really heartening. So, but Aeneas is also a broken person. And by broken, I simply mean all the various ways that we or our world are not whole. That we and our world where things are not working the way they were meant to work. Relationships inside eternal, internally, our relationship with God, our relationship with people, our relationship with children or with our parents or with, with coworkers or in this country or whatever, all the ways that things are not right and need to be restored. Aeneas has been struggling with a disability for eight years, and he can't, he can't walk. We don't know what the disease was. But you know if you have a disability or if you live with somebody with a disability, there is the sort of the surface disability that's really painful, but then there's like an even deeper brokenness that sometimes goes with it, that it sometimes can be very dehumanizing. Sometimes it can be very lonely. Sometimes it can be people don't understand what you're going through and you're, and you're isolated. And sometimes there can be shame involved in that. That's the deeper brokenness. All of us have ways that we have brokenness, but then there's the deeper brokenness. So for instance, about 10 years ago, I was unemployed for eight years, or I was gonna say eight years. It was eight months I was unemployed. Eight months I was unemployed, and it's, it's not only hard, you're looking for a job, but it's really dehumanizing. It's, it takes shots on your self-esteem. That is the deeper brokenness. Addictions have a deeper brokenness. Sometimes the poor who are the object of scorn from others, the powerful, the rich, have a, just what's worse than poverty is being treated like you're a non-human. 
Sometimes the rich who have everything, who have success, have a deeper brokenness. I was reading a snippet out of, there's a new biography on the comedian Robin Williams who took his life a couple years ago. Before he took his life, he was sort of at a low point in his career. His career had stalled. He was experiencing some guilt after a divorce, and he was remarried and trying to make that work. And he tried to solve that deeper brokenness by throwing himself into work, by basically becoming what we would call a workaholic. And one of his friends, a person that knew him well, said, and I quote, it said, it's like Robin didn't worry about anything when he worked all the time. He operated on working. If he wasn't working, he was a shell of himself. And when he worked, it was like a light bulb was turned on. Now, the problem with that is you can't always work. And then you're a shell of yourself. Even the rich, even the successful, even the powerful have a deeper brokenness. And that's what Aeneas needs. He needs healing for the deeper brokenness. And that's what Peter, actually I should say, that's what the church, through Peter, one of the servants of the church, offers to Aeneas. So he tells him in verse 34, he says, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up and make your bed. And immediately he rose. That, that phrase, rise up and make your bed, literally referred to somebody who was setting a table so you could have a meal. That's probably the best way to translate that. So what he was doing was he's giving him a job to do. He's restoring his dignity. He's healing the deeper brokenness. And then he rose. In verse 36, it says, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So here's probably what happened. Although the verse doesn't unpack it, here's probably what happened. Christians, the church, saw this. They saw this broken man get healed, and they started talking about it. They started telling their friends about it. They said, you got to come and see this. I, you got to come. you got to check this out. So people started coming, and the church grew. And let me just add, the church did not grow, that church at that time did not grow by getting believers from other churches. Because there were no other churches. This was the only church in this city. They grew by new believers coming to know the Lord. Let's look at the second story. It's a little, this vignette. Another ordinary disciple. It says that Tabitha, notice there wasn't Joppa, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Now, let me just pause here because Luke is doing something else. Luke's always doing stuff. Actually, all the gospel writers are always doing this. He's intentionally writing one story about a man and another story about a woman. And he highlights this woman is a disciple. She's the real deal. She's full-fledged. She's not half a disciple. She's not half a follower of Jesus. No, she's a disciple, just like all the men. She's a disciple. For Luke, this is a deliberate literary pattern. He is raising, elevating the status of woman that the gospel brings into the church. Now, he's not saying that women and men are interchangeable. He's not saying that they always have the same roles, but he is saying that they are full participants and full heirs in the good news of the gospel. That's a really beautiful thing. And Tabitha 
had touched many people. She's a businesswoman. She seems to be an artist. She seems to be a craftsman. She seems to be a designer. She's made all these garments that have touched people's lives. She's not just, she doesn't just crank out cheap stuff. She cranks out stuff she builds, or she designs, and she makes stuff that's high quality. So people were touched by this, so they're sad. So Peter comes to her in verse 40, and he says, Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Now, remember I said this goes, harkens back to the story in Luke chapter 7? In Luke chapter 7, Jesus used the words, Talitha, arise which is an Aramaic phrase that means little girl, arise. One letter difference. Again, this is intentional. Luke is saying, remember what Jesus did? He's still here. He's still around. He's still around. He's still alive. Where do you find him? He's working through the church. Such an imperfect thing, such an imperfect institution, such an imperfect group of people. Yes, he's working through the church. He's alive and working through the church. So notice these two themes in these two stories. First, ordinary people meet Jesus. And in a very special way, verse 34 and verse 40, Luke uses the word rise. They arose or rise. It's the same word talking about Jesus' resurrection. So here's the point. Both Aeneas and Tabitha experienced the power of the resurrection. They met Jesus, and they met him in the power of his resurrection. So the first thing is, this is what's still going on through the church. I need this this morning. You know, I come to church every Sunday because I'm on staff, and I have to be here. And the bishop might be disappointed if I just didn't show up some Sunday. But the main reason why I come, I need to meet Jesus. I'm Aeneas. I'm Tabitha. I need to meet the power of Jesus so that I can love people well. I need to meet the power of Jesus so I can hold on to blazing hope in the midst of this world which so often can make us despair. I need to meet Jesus so I can stay fully alive in a world filled with so many distractions. We need to meet Jesus this morning. So ordinary people met Jesus, and the second thing is, as they met Jesus, the church grew. So notice those summary statements at the end of each of these stories. And the church grew. And the church multiplied. This happens over and over again through the book of Acts. And here's the thing. The church should not have grown. Just historically, it should not have grown. All the odds were stacked against the church. We tend to forget, you know, we have a beautiful sanctuary like this. We tend to forget that the church... The story of the church is one of the greatest underdog stories of all time. I Googled this week, 20 best underdog movies of all time. So I was thinking of Seabiscuit, Rudy, Rocky, Shawshank Redemption, if you're familiar with that. Mighty Ducks was not on the list, which was a shame. But the story of the church is a better underdog story than all of those underdog stories all combined. Think of it. They had no buildings. They had no political power. They had no schools. One intellectual called the church, and I think he pretty much summarized feelings about the church. It is a depraved and excessive superstition. 
They, church, they accused the church of cannibalism because of the Lord's Supper. They accused the church of all kinds of awful things. One bishop, an early bishop, said that my people are a ragtag, and I quote, army without weapons, women armed with gentleness, men adorned with love. We don't have any weapons. We don't have any military might. We don't have any AK-47s. We don't have any power. They're a subject of gossip and harassment and sometimes death. And yet the church grew. It's like a plant growing up in your sidewalk and you hit it with a weed whacker and you put poison on it and you pull it and you yank it and it keeps coming back. Now, the church is not a weed, so that's, that's where the analogy ends. But the church keeps growing. It's got vitality. It's got some source of life. Where does that come from? Well, it came from the power of the Holy Spirit, which we spent five weeks on, talking, preaching about that. But it also came through its mission, through what made it famous in the eyes of people, that it became the go-to place for healing the go-to place for when you needed a new start in life, for when you needed to, to be called into mission, for when you were bored and you needed, you needed a mission and a purpose in your life, when your life was broken. I read a book a couple months ago by a historian named Alan Kreider, and the book is titled The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And I love this subtitle. The subtitle is The Improbable Rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. Kreider is a historian, and he said the main reason why the church grew was not because of its amazing strategies and five-year plans, although they probably had some of that, but the, the real reason why it grew is because he said it embodied an unsettling alternative to the surrounding culture that made Christians, I love these, I love these words, that made Christians interesting, challenging, and worth investigating. I love that. And it was a ferment. It was like you're making bread, and the yeast slowly works its way into the bread. It takes time. It's slow. It's often unseen. You don't see the yeast working. You don't see it fermenting. But something's going on. That loaf, that lump is getting bigger. It's rising. Kreider gives a couple historical examples. The early church gave dignity to the sick. The church, and this is a historical fact, basically invented the hospital. It started in early places, like for instance in the year 251 when a plague hit North Africa, the city of Carthage. And all the people of the town that could, that had the resources, fled. Get me out of here. Many of the Christians stayed, and they cared for the sick, and they cared for the dying. The church became famous as a place for sick people, literally sick people. It gives a second example. In the fourth century, there was a man named Pacomius, 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 who was abducted and forced into the army. While he was traveling about, these people, these strangers, would come and give the prisoners food and water. And one time he asked one of his fellow prisoners, he said, who are these people? They're so weird. They just keep showing up, bringing food. Why are they doing this? And he was told, and I quote, 
They are people who bear the name of Christ, the only begotten Son of God, and they do good to everyone because of their faith in Jesus. According to the story, his heart was set on fire. And as soon as he got discharged from the army, the first thing he did was said, I'm going to find a church. I'm going to see what this is all about. And he found a church, and he was baptized. He became a believer and was baptized. And he eventually founded a monastic movement in the early church. He knew where to go because the church had a reputation. Now, sometimes the church has had a bad reputation in history. Sometimes the church asks, act like the disciples that, in the Gospels that Val read. Sometimes we're like that because we're sinners. We're imperfect people. But the church at her best is famous for being the place to go. So last year I visited my son who works as a doctor, as a doctor in uh, the center of Papua New Guinea in the Western Highlands. He works at a hospital called Kijip Hospital where there's eight Christian doctors there. There are five doctors for every 100,000 people in Papua New Guinea. So if you want an equivalent of Wheaton, that would be two and a half doctors for all of Wheaton. You don't get any specialists. I think we'd have to do just general practitioners. No dentists, no psychiatrists, no chiropractors. Two and a half doctors for the whole city. Day after day, these doctors go in there and they bring healing, their skill to the best of their ability, and they're all really good doctors and really dedicated. When I was there, it just hooked my heart in a way that I did not anticipate. So, for instance, when Matt called me a few months later, he said, remember Jimmy? Jimmy was a 22-year-old guy that had some, they thought maybe had tuberculosis or maybe leukemia, but they thought they could, they thought they could heal him. They thought they could bring healing to him. He was also a really great young Christian guy, grew up in a Christian home, rugby player, dynamic young guy. Matt said, remember Jimmy? Yeah, of course I remember Jimmy. I loved meeting him. He said, we, he died, Dad. You know, we, we did our best. He died. And I just, I broke down and I wept like I haven't wept in years. And I, I called Matt a couple days later. I said, how do you guys do this, you doctors? He said, why don't you ask Dr. Bill? Dr. Bill McCoy is Matt's mentor. He's been doing this for 32 years in Africa and in Papua New Guinea. So I emailed Dr. Bill and I said, how do you do this? How do you keep doing this year after year? And here's what he wrote back, and I'm just, I'll quote what he said. He said, Matt, if I were to count the cost of waging war on suffering and death, and my ledger was the sum total of my gifts, strengths, courage, and all my resources, death wins by a landslide. But this is not my fight. This is not my war. Death and suffering can spit and fume, but they won't have the last word. Jesus faced and defeated death, so he gets the last word. And then he quoted a little verse from the last book of the Bible, a book of Revelation, where Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. That's why I keep doing this, Matt. That's the church at her best. That's the church becoming famous 
has a place of healing for broken places. Now let me just say that as a pastor of this church, as a priest of this church, it has been my privilege to watch so many of you already do this. You know, as a younger pastor, I might have stood up here and told, told the church what, what you're doing wrong. Here's what you're not doing. Here's how you're not doing enough. But one of the privileges of being a pastor, and, and sometimes people ask, well, that must be really hard. You get to see people at their worst sometimes. You get to pe- see people do bad things. It's like, yeah, that's true. You do get to see the dark side. But more than anything, you see people, Christians, following Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, doing amazing stuff. They are living out. They are living out what the church is all about. And I think of some of you, some of you that have adopted children, children that come from difficult situations. I think of some of you are caring for a child with disabilities. Some of you are working with refugees. Some of you are providing a home for people. They're letting somebody stay in your home, somebody that needs a new start in life. Some of you are going into the DuPage County Jail working with Alpha, which our team is going in there tonight starting a new class. Some of you are working with the mentally ill or with the addicted. Some of you are walking beside pregnant women that that don't know what to do. Some of you are loving a neighbor, maybe somebody that's really successful, that's got some deeper brokenness. Some of you are working with walk across the street, working for racial reconciliation. So the first thing I want to say is, Thank you. And the first thing I want to say is endure to the end and don't let your love grow cold and do not grow weary of well-doing. Some of you, that's the word you need to hear. But don't you, don't we, don't we also hunger for more? More opportunities? More chances to make the church famous? in our midst, through our lives? Don't we hunger to make the church famous in our community? Not just our church, but every church that's preaching the gospel. Don't we long for that? More dreams, more visions, more plans, more prayers, more tears, more sweat to make the church famous for being the place where people can meet Jesus. I want to close by just by asking you this. What is your role in this? Where is God calling you? I want to encourage you to pray about it, to think about it, to receive prayer for it. You know, there's, a, there's this thing in soccer, well, there's a position in soccer that's really special. It's called the goalie. And the goalie has magical powers. He or she is the only person on the field who can use his hands but he can only use his hands in a special zone of the field. It's called the penalty area. But if you know goalies, and they're all a little crazy, they will say, it's not the penalty area, it's the goalie box. So they say, it's my box. And they will say, I take care of my box. Sometimes they call it my house. It's my house. Nobody comes into my house and just does what they want. I take care of my house. I take care of my box. Now, I love that because I think all of us have a zone. We have a zone 
It's not just necessarily geographic, although it's partially geographic, but some of it comes with our network of friends, our job, the place where we work, our financial resources are part of that zone, how we use our money, our relationships, our friendships, our family. It's the place where you have special powers. It's the place where God has called you. And part of what it means to be a Christian, part of what it means to be the church, is that we all have our box, and my box is not your box, and your box is not his box or her box. We all have this zone where God has called us and said, I want you to take care of your zone. I want you to take care of your box. What would that look like for you? What does that look like in your life? Can the church be the church like it was in New Testament days? It was still a flawed church. It was still an imperfect church. They still had conflict. They still had problems. But it was a church that was really clear about its mission, to make Jesus famous and his healing power famous. Can that happen? I think it can. I think it can through us and God's spirit working in and through us. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.